Okay. Every Yom Tov has its unique experiences, its historical correlatives. But Shavuos is an opportunity beyond just reliving the history and the event, but to try to bridge between the ideal and the reality. What do I mean to bridge between the ideal and the reality? Here's some sheets. In an ideal world, we have no responsibilities, no wars, no illnesses, no need to earn a living. So we can learn Torah all day. And that's how the Rambam describes Olam Haba. Chachamim Yoshvim Vachosem Barashayim Venenim Yizivashchina. Now whether we'll be sitting over a Ketzos HaChoshen and a Tosvos or some other way of interacting with Hashem's Ratzon, but nothing from this world will extend to the next world. We won't be disturbed or distracted by anything and we'll be solely focused and pivoted on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Take it the following jarring example just to help you appreciate how deeply immersed we'll be with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The following two, okay? Two examples. About, one about Sechar Ve'onesh and one about how transient human experiences are when held to the eye of eternity. Who gets more Sechar Tal? You or the Vilna Gaon? Assuming you maximize your life. Let's say you learn every minute the Vilna Gaon maybe was about till 20 minutes in his whole life you once remember. Let's say you replicate that but you don't become the Vilna Gaon. You can't, neither can I. Who gets more schar? So everyone in this room will say, of course, because we're all trained in the Western world, get the same schar, put forth the same effort, same output, same A for effort. Everyone gets an award at the end of the soccer match because everyone tried to, everyone's a winner. Objectively, that's fraudulent. The Vilna Gaon got so much closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu than any of us in this room will ever, even if we perform at the same output and exertion as a Vilna Gaon. But on the other hand, if the Vilna Gaon gets more schar in Olam Pamba, then it's a fair, because none of us were created with the potential of the Vilna Gaon. So that's an age, age old question. Far, far before I inhabited this earth. But one answer, and I think to me the most powerful answer is, is that the Vilna Gaon will objectively receive more schar. But it won't make a difference. Because you'll have the max that you're able to handle, and you'll be so attuned to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so entrenched into that relationship, you won't even have the ability to look to your right and to your left. It won't bother you. The only one having more is only unfair if you're bothered by it. But if you have an endless supply of what you need, and you're not, so A, objectively, you have as much as you need and can process, and B, you're not bothered, you're not pained by that fact because you're so, you're so tuned in and synchronized with the Kaddish Baruch Let me say it a different way, okay? I know that when people die, we often use the expression, we'll be together in Shemayim, and we'll live together, and we'll celebrate together. Well, that's obviously not true, at least in the way that we process our human relationships. You're not going to be your parents' children in Shemayim. You think you will, so who's going to be your grandparents' children? If your parents are the father of the family, then who's going to be the children of your grandparents? So obviously, in the human realm, we go through relationships and we play different roles at different stages. We're children, then we're parents, then we're grandparents. So we occupy different roles. In Olam Haba, we can't. So we're not really going to have the same human relationships, man and wife, father and child, we have in this world, even in a spiritual, emotional level. It says we won't need it. We'll be so engrossed. Take a sheet. Take it. We'll be so engrossed with our bonus Sholem that we won't need those types of relationships. We can't think about it now because as human beings, we're so dependent in a healthy way. It's not like a dependency that we're frail. Hashem wants us to have those interactions. But could you imagine a world in which you won't need them and they'll be meaningless and 
it's hard for you to even process because they're so meaningful in our reality. So the ideal is to sit and learn Torah all day. But look at the world we live in and look how much meager time is available to us. So the answer is, do we have the thirst and the hunger? Do we tell ourselves, Shifti Vives Hashem is a dream and maybe we can't fulfill the And then on a daily basis, whatever time we can, we try to gather as much Torah time as we can. So the Gemara says in Bracha, source number five, when the great rabbis assemble in Yavna, they used to repeat this mantra. Anibaria, very important statement. Because on the one hand, Torah learners have to feel special. If you don't feel special, that pride won't appreciate your station, your calling, how royal it is, how nobling it is to study Torah. People use words about Torah studiers that are very, very denigrating. Leeches, parasites, insular, insensitive. Baruch Hashem, I think, our yeshiva, through its various, and yeshivas like it, through its various exposures, is able to change some of that terminology and some of that vernacular. I've told you so often, wherever you are, you have to wear the fact that you're an Oved Hashem, that you're yeshiva bachar the right way. Because there's so many people today whose religion was ruined by that one meeting 20 years ago, 30 years ago, with that wrong rabbi at the wrong time who said something rude or bigoted or insensitive or pompous or whatever. And unfairly, they judge Judaism by Jews because it's never the way to judge a religion by people. People are frail. People make mistakes. But that soured them unjustifiably, but that soured them. And I don't want anyone to be soured in your account. If anything, you have to provide a refreshing, noble view of what a Ventara can be. So, just a second, so on the one hand, you have to feel that pride. On the other hand, it can't be condescension, can't be dismissiveness towards other people who aren't learning Torah. It's a very, very fine line. In some communities, there isn't enough covenant Torah. Aren't enough people? How many, how many of your parents would be happy if you came home and told them you're going to be a Rebbe? That's a sad comment. Because we as a community don't value people becoming Rabbanim and teachers. And at some level, you could explain it a thousand different ways, at some level, that's a blemish. It's a scarlet letter in our community. If we really value Torah, then we would value, with all the understandings, that it's a difficult life and a challenging life. And if you're say, wow, that's fantastic. It's a dream come true for me, my son, to be teaching Torah. But are you fit for it? Can you afford it? I mean, that's a more subtle conversation, which on the one hand demonstrates real belief and, and evaluation of this, but on the other hand, real-time concerns and pragmatic concerns without being naive about the realities. But in some cases, it's just taboo. In some cases, it will be the greatest tragedy because you're not fulfilling your destiny. Fulfilling. In some cases, the Kavanah Torah is too excessive. Where people that are learning, they're the princes of the world, their lives matter. People that are not learning, their lives are inferior, some cases meaningless. It's very important as Shavuot looms, try to find that calibration. So this is how the people in Yavna calibrated it. Ani Beria, the Chavari Beria were both creatures of Hashem, source five. Ani Malachti Beir, I go to work every day in the city. Sometimes you find that people that are learning Torah, it kills me, especially in this yeshiva. Especially in this yeshiva. Especially with Israelis, I'll be honest, because you're not in that framework. But when a boy is an Israeli, and, I mean, you should think of yourself that way also for the year you're here. I mean, I know, and you can ask your friends what their schedule's like in the army. In the army, you're not waking up at 7.40 and going to the local minion and relaxing a little, having some coffee and resting in the afternoon and watching movies at night. You're working and working and working. Your time isn't yours. You grab a few minutes here, you grab a few minutes there to daven. Again, you can't recreate army life and the disciplined regimen of army life outside, but this 
laissez-faire, relaxed attitude, as if this is a hotel and you're here to enjoy yourselves and learn. I'm, I'm not piling on everyone here. I'm just describing what frustrates me. Not from a religious standpoint, simply from a moral standpoint. Go to the army. Friends of yours that are your age are there for three years. And they are living this type of schedule and this type of routine for three years. So you are reducing and diminishing that for the sake of Torah should at least work somehow in a manner that resembles. It's not army. You're not going to sleep four hours a night. You can't maintain that in yeshiva. But this relaxed, I'll learn when it suits me and I'm not feeling well today, so I'll take it easy today and I need a little bit more sleep. I think under the, the moral considerations and framework of yeshiva like this, I just don't know how, how, how people can all Forget religious. Forget the fact, as Ravaran said, you're wasting a Kodesh Baruch Hu's potential. Ravaran felt if you're lazy, you're almost betraying Hashem. Hashem gave you power, Hashem gave you potential, Hashem gave you resources, and you just squander it. You just don't use it. It's like almost betrayal of someone who invested in you. So they went to work. He's going to work in the field, and I work in the city. Ani mashkim limlachti, line number two. I get up early. Who mashkim limlachto? He gets up early. Kishem shehu eno miskander bimlachti, just like he doesn't deride or devalue my work to learn Torah. I don't deride his value. He's working in the fields. He's a farmer. He's a professional. Shema Tomar, maybe you'll say, Ani I learn large volumes of Torah, and he learns small slices of Torah. So this is what they would say. Shaninu, Echad Hamarbe, Viechad Hamamit, Some learn more, some learn less. People choose different lifestyles, as long as it's Lishma. And as long as the people that learn more don't look in a manner that's condescending and supercilious to those who learn less, as long as those who learn less are able to scramble together as much as they can. It's an important phrase to remember. Keep in mind the common denominator, and I say this again and again and again until, until it gets to people's heads, because it doesn't always in Yeshiva, especially where there's so many values on display. You have to learn Torah or else you're not an Orthodox Jew. You, you can't wake up in five years from now and say, keep kashras and Shabbos, but I don't learn Torah. You're an Orthodox, Mel Yuchayv and Talmud Torah. Forget Talmud Torah, Kineget Kulam. Forget Yom Avalayla. This is an important corrective that you're constantly going to have to go through in life. Am I learning Torah Bikvias? How much? Go back to the Gemara and Brachas. Some are going to learn 10 hours. Some are going to learn, I don't know, 20 minutes, 10 minutes. There's no way to put a, to put a figure on it. But just to live a life without coming into contact with a direct word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not just books about Judaism, or why you Torah Shirim from famous rabbi. None of that. Simply contact with Hashem's Ratzel. Mishnah, Rashi, Pasuk. This is so many Everyone in this room now has access. You can't say I can't learn. You all have the skills to get that access into Torah. So, Shavuos is a time to think about the offset between what we'd like and what we have and to assess how we're doing. Ravar would always tell us. Erev Shavuos, we have to conduct a cheshbon nefesh on Erev Shavuos about our Torah fidelity and our Torah fitness, the same way on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. We conduct a cheshbon nefesh about our overall behavior. So he would give us sichot about how to process our Torah personality and our Torah experience. I, I, I summarized one on, on a shir the other day on Y.U. Torah, which I uploaded to Y.U. Torah. And I want to tell you this story just to set the framework right for what you hope to accomplish on Shavuos. Again, this is a different type of a year because this is a year in which you're learning all day long, the entire year. But condition yourself, think about this Gemara. There'll be times in the future where this bridge between your full year reality, and of course, 
in future years it becomes even more difficult. When you're in yeshiva, you feel shivos. In other years, you may not feel shivos. You'll be in college campuses, you'll be a professional, and you're going to have to find the strength. I mean, to me, it would be almost a no-brainer that for the rest of your life, you stay up all night on shivos. I mean, that, that's just the, the minimum that someone that has Torah sensitivities can do. Now, if you're going to tell me that you're going to be very, very conscientious and by sleeping Shavuos night, you're not going to be able to learn the next day, but you're going to wake up. Like, there's some people that don't stay up Shavuos night because they want, and, and they hold, there's some people that follow the minute of Chatzil Hashem and Chatzil Hashem, literally. So they learn till 3 o'clock, and then, no, seriously, there are many people that do that. They spend Yantif half the time in Shul and learning, and half the time they time it till Chatzil, till 1 o'clock. And then some people say that by staying up late at night, you may... Uh, ruin or, or alter some of those capabilities. If you feel you're going to... Do you guys even know that in some yeshivas in America, I'm sure there are other yeshivas around the world, obviously not in Israel, people do a tick in the second night? Are you even aware of it? If you'll have a tick in the second night, because why is it less shavuos? Why should we be less interested in Talmud Torah? So I don't think you should do a tick in the second night. I think you should enjoy Yom Tov. If you're going to obviously waste your time. But there's something to be said. Even if you put your head down to sleep a little bit, the rest of your life, sometimes I don't make it through the whole night. But just the feeling that we're being Makabal Torah. We're staying up at night to Makabal Pane Hashem. And again, if you feel, obviously, if your wife wants to daven and you want to go to sleep early so you can babysit the next morning or you're on call, there are many ways you can do a mitzvah by not staying up at night. But all things being equal, don't just say, I'm tired. I'll go to sleep. I'll go to a shir for an hour, have some cheesecake, and go to sleep. I think your ability to express on Shavuos what your desire should be the whole year but unable to achieve. But on Shavuos. So let's take a look at this story. The Gemara Chagiga says, Rav Iti was the father of Rav Yaakov. Rav Yaakov was a Talmud Chacham. Rav Iti was a businessman. So Rav Yaakov would spend all year in the base matters. And Rav Iti would go on these long business trips and come every three months for a day. Pop in when, between flights. So all the Talmud Chachamim in the base matters started to disparage Rav Iti. Uh, we're here learning all three months, and you just pop in for a day. So what do they call him? Line number two, source four, Havikari Lu Rabbanan, the Rabbanan would name him, a very, very, desolate, you know, very denigratory nickname, Bar Beirav Dechad Yoma. He's someone that comes for a day, a one-night stand. He shows up for a day. We're here learning, schwitzing, working. He shows up for a day. Rabbi Yochanan is very upset. Rabbi Yochanan says, B'matusa minach, lotanish Rabbanan. Don't, don't, don't stop this. Nothing could be Yochanan the baby drash of a So to get up and to defend Ravidi, he gave the following drash. He quoted a Pasuk in Yermia. Pasuk says, yom yom They will pursue me every day, yom yom. So this was Rabbi Yochanan's drash of yom yidroshin v'laylein darshin. What does it mean yom yom? During the day we pursue Hashem and at night we don't learn Torah, it's a Torah free zone. What does it mean yom yom yidroshin? And Allah Melacha, line number five, source four. If you learn Torah one day a year, it's like you learn Torah the whole year. I can't think of a Gemara that's more appropriate for Shavuos than this. How many people don't, unfortunately, don't learn Torah the whole year? Or don't learn enough Torah the whole year? Some by neglect, some by just simply inability, legitimate inability. And then Shavuos is at one time of year, we can say, okay, this is the way life should be. And by investing in Shavuos and in Matantara, I can demonstrate this is what I would perform uninhibited by the challenges of this world, but now I've got to get back to the world. But if you never, you never had that day, then you may be lying to yourself. 
maybe delusional. I really, really believe in Torah, but, 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 but. When you have that one day, they just break away. So that's what I think you should look at before I get the details about Shavuos, how you should process Shavuos, and what Shavuos means in Matan Torah. Just tr- start training yourself. Again, it's a little bit of a mirage because Yeshiva, Shavuos doesn't really feel that different from the rest of the year. And especially here in Eretz Yisrael, where Shavuos starts very, very late. So by the time you get to the day's medicine, it's 12 o'clock, and it begins 4 o'clock, so you have an extra year, and it's not really that much different. But start processing in your mind, especially because Shavuos doesn't have any mitzvahs. So it's harder to latch on to. I'll talk about that in a moment, why Shavuos doesn't have any mitzvahs. We all know how Pirkei Avos begins. Moshe Kibbal Torah, Misinai, Misarul Yeshua. Abbas Rivinasan, which I was learning with some of the boys before Pesach, begins in a very, very different tone, but it's important to think about this over the next couple of days. Source number three. Moshe Niskadesh Be'anan, the Kibbal Torah Misinai. Moshe spends six days in a cloud, and then he receives Torah. Now, why we're seeing the cloud? So it's a machlokas between a Biosi Aglili and a Biakiva. Well, let's see. Actually, it's a little bit later. I'm Rabbi Nassim. Rabbi Nassim says, source four, I'm sorry. Source three, line four. Why do you spend six days in the cloud? To walk away from eating and drinking so that his system can be cleansed. According to Rabbi Masia ben Kharash, not just physically to cleanse himself, but attitudinally to develop the orientation that this is something special. So here you've got two different opinions about what Moshe was doing for six days. And of course, they're complementary. Before I talk about the union of the two and the way that they complement each other, the common denominator is that you have to prepare for Harsina. As you have to prepare for any moment of expanded religious consciousness, Pesach, Rum Kippur, Purim, but Harsina in particular, because it's Devar Hashem, because to a degree there's an irony because we spend so long preparing for it that we almost forget that it happens. We spend 50 days preparing for Shavuos, but it's become so much part of our routine. Did you say spirit? Did you say spirit on our apps? It's not, all, of a sudden, oh, it's all of a sudden you wake up and you say it's the 49th day in a couple of Oh, it's really here. And then you realize, I haven't really been preparing for Shavuos. I've just been counting down the omen, making sure I'm still in. I'm still making the bracha. And then you realize it's about Shavuos. So these little alarm clocks that have to go off in your head, again, especially because a lot of the college routines that you'll be subjected to Challenges. You'll be taking finals depending upon when the schedules work out. In some cases, it's summer. It's a bit leisurely. You don't have the mitzvot that anchor your life. Pesach, you can't miss. You're turning over your whole kitchen. You're buying matzah. You're buying food. You're preparing Torah for the Seder. You're cleaning chametz. Shaniyam Kippur. You can't miss it. It just it, it's in the air because there are concrete connectors to which you adhere. Shavuos is nothing. You have to prepare anything. Someone once said an old joke. It's a rude joke about Shavuos, but it displays a lot of reality. He once said, a Jewish comedian, that Shavuos is his favorite holiday. Why is Shavuos his favorite holiday? Because on Pesach, we can't eat what we want. On Sukkot, we can eat whatever we want, but not where we want. And on Rosh Hashanah, we can eat what we want and where we want, but not when we want because of the davening. It's so long. And Yom Kippur, you can't eat at all. Shavuos, you can eat whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. It's his favorite holiday. Now, of course, we don't gauge holidays in Yom Tovim based on how much you can eat. But 
the fire behind this smoke is, there's nothing limiting you on Shavuos. You can basically spend the whole day eating. In Israel, sadly enough, amongst Jews who aren't religious, it's become a day of nature. Day of vacation. Get back to nature, return to your roots because of Bikurim. So you've got to have that period. This is why it's starting tonight. Thursday, Friday, Shabbos. When something happens, technical advice, watch a little bit less YouTube if, if that's something. You can walk a little bit away from the food and drink like Moshe did. I mean, you should eat or drink less, but you're still in a different state. Rev. Masya says, think about religion a little bit more. Try to come to Davani if you're not doing well in Davani in the morning on time. Make sure your davening is... Make sure your starim are kept. Uh, I would feel that the Isser Bittal Torah, as terrible as it is, is even worse when you're three days before Shavuos. Again, you don't have to be neurotic. You don't have to slam your chavus over the head if he starts talking, but a certain reinforcement of boundaries and of parameters and of frameworks, as Moshe did for six days without eating, and also to put himself into that frame of mind of Ema, Yira, Reses, Vizea, to put himself into that attitude. Where are the mitzvahs of Shavuos? Why aren't there mitzvahs? Two reasons. First of all, because as much as this is a day of Shemayim, as much as this is a day of divine voices and fear and thunder and lightning and billowing smoke, Hashem can't enforce or compel us to take the Torah. The most he can do is offer. It's a bilateral experience. He can offer it to us. But we have to say yes. And that's why it can't be a day of mitzvahs, because mitzvahs is Hashem's legislation and mandates. And Hashem is saying, I can't mandate anything. You have to accept my Torah. In Pesach, Hashem swept down to history and re-landscaped the entire world unilaterally. We didn't have any voice or role in it. So Hashem could say, these are the mitzvahs. And Rosh Hashanah, Hashem judges Basar of Adam with full authority. So He says, these are the mitzvahs. Shavuos Hashem, it's not Yom Nesina Satara, that's not how we'll call it in Dabani, we'll call it Yom Matantara. Hashem extends an option to us. Remember the Medrash? It's a fascinating Medrash that everyone gets wrong. Hashem hoisted the mountain and he threatened us to accept the Torah and he said, if you don't accept the Torah, I'll bury you. Yeah. Why does Hashem have to do that? Just force the Torah on us. Why does he have to threaten us? It's like I squeeze your hand until you cry uncle. I need you to say uncle. I need you to say yes. I torture you until you say yes. But I still need you to say yes. It's your yes that will make you. I can't do it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu can't give Torah to human beings because we have freedom of will. And we can hold out. He can punish us. He can make us suffer. He can demolish our body. He can't take away free will from human beings once it's delivered. Every 2,000 years, man exercised his free will in a way that was discrepant with Hashem's will. And finally, one community accepted the will of HaKadosh Baruch. So it can't be a unilateral day. It can't be a day of commandments. We make the day. It's our day. And that's why, to a degree, the irony is, I told you before there's a machlokas about how you should experience Yantif between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. We can read it together. Source number 10. Rabbi Eliezer, one of the shittos says, one shita is chatzil Hashem, chatzil lachem, is Rabbi Eliezer's shita. Rabbi Yoshua's shita is, you have a choice. You can enjoy all day or you can fast all day and learn all day. In fact, 
unbeknownst to you, many of your great-grandparents fasted Rosh Hashanah, two days. Rosh Hashanah was a day in which many people would fast as the Yom Adin. They would eat at night and fast during the day. So in Yantav you have that option. You can't on Shabbos, but in Yantav you have the option to fast. But the Gemara says, source number 10, Amr Abu Lazar, Hakol Modim, even those that allow you to fast on Pesach and Sukkot, Hakol Modim Debiatseres, Binanami Lachem. What? You have to eat on Shavuos. When you take that second piece of cheesecake at your guest at your host house, say, My Rebbe told me I have to eat on Shavuos. It's my Rebbe's fault. It's so antithetical, it's so counterintuitive. What would be the one of the three days that you should be able to fast? Shavuos, it's a day of spirituality, it's a day of Torah. No. It's our day. It's the day that we make, and we have to process and navigate it through human experiences, not just through fasting and spirituality. We have to eat on Shavuos because it's a day that we create and a day that lifts us and, and ennobles us. Look at the end of Source 10. Yosef would tell his servant, his chef, Erev Shavuos, Rabbi Yosef, biyoma de atzarta. Erev Shavuos, we tell the chef, or maybe Shavuos proper, because the chef could cook. Amtili iglatilsa. I want you to prepare the choicest meat. Their choicest meat was the third offspring of a cow. The third egg of born. Iglatilsa. Why? Amar, fascinating. Rabbi Yosef, who probably went by the name Joe, not really, but we would call him Joe. Rabbi Yosef said, Eli hayoma, if not for Shavuos, kama Yosef ikabashuka. I'd just be an average Joe. There are many Yosefs in the Shuk. This is my day. What separates me? What makes me... What gives me meaning in this life? Torah. So, Because I'm so proud to have accepted Hashem's Torah, I have to enjoy it through human expression, not just through spirituality, not just through fasting, not just through davening. So one of the reasons there's no mitzvahs today is because too many mitzvahs would be a legislative mandate for you rather than we're creating the day because we want it. Because we realize the inherent value of Hashem's will and a lifestyle built on Hashem's will. If we're choosing it. And because of that, we celebrate in a human fashion. That's why there's no mitzvahs. Second reason there's no mitzvahs? If you can believe it, because the day has to be cleared out for something even more surpassing than mitzvahs. What could be more surpassing than mitzvahs? There's only one thing. It's a four-letter word, and it starts with Torah. Torah. In Hebrew. As important as mitzvahs are, and in this world, Torah and mitzvahs are wedded. A person that learns Torah without intent to perform mitzvahs, he's not even learning Torah. You don't make a bracha. It's not considered Torah. It's so corrupt. It's so perverse. Mitzvahs are limited to this world. Human beings perform mitzvahs. Malachim don't. Human beings perform mitzvahs in Olam Hazer. There are no mitzvahs in Olam Hazer. Nothing. No tefillin, no lulav, no tzitzis, no sukkah, no matzah, no chesed, no tzedakah, no bodies. Nothing. There's one thing that's eternal. There's one thing that preceded this world. There's one thing that will outlast this world. It's the only thing that you're tasting in this world that will carry over into the next world. It's Talmud Torah. And that's why Torah has to be liberated from mitzvahs. It can't be a day of mitzvahs because Hashem wants your imagination to soar higher than mitzvahs. Not, not chas v'chalila, to the abnegation of mitzvahs, you know, like a bracha, you know, but your focus, your experience should be, wow, I get to learn Hashem's ratzah. Hashem chose us to receive His will. 
and of course to implement his will as long as we live. And then when we die, we'll still live his will, we'll still think about his will, we'll still know him, we just won't be able to perform it any longer in a physical manner, but we'll still be engaged in understanding his will. That's why, I mean, think of, think of the Gemara in Shabbos, very famous Gemara, just so you should know the Gemara, source 11. Darish Rav Simai, the last source. Bishon Shekharish Barcho, when Am Yisrael responded to Hashem, Shekdimu Nasel and Nishma, and we said Nasa before Nishma, Bo Shishim Each person received 60 times 10, 600,000 angels descended on each person. It's hard for us to know. I've never met one angel. I can't imagine what a swarm of 600,000 would feel like. And they placed two crowns on each person's head. Why did they receive two crowns? Because they placed Nasa before Nishma. Famous, famous question of the Beis HaLevi. You all know who the Beis HaLevi was? Beis HaLevi was the father of Rabchayim, the first Yosef Dov HaLevi Salavajik. Asks a very famous question. Why did they receive two crowns? They should receive one crown. Because they did one incredibly bold and imaginative act of a blind leap of faith. They should have said, let's study, let's consider, let's learn about it, let's take a little while to think about it, and then we'll make a decision. Instead, they said, let's pull the trigger, follow your gut, and we'll work through it. By the way, a very important lesson, not just about faith and theology, but about life. Some people never reach the capacity to make decisions of faith. They're always looking for decisions of empiricism. How do I know? And there are some decisions in life that just don't lend themselves to empirical decisions, and people become paralyzed through empiricism. Some decisions can. Investments, insurance, finance. Some decisions, they're just... You can't, you can't empirically marry a woman. There's no way for you to know how that will turn out. It's simply impossible. And some people are so frightened that they're really stalled through many years of inability to make that commitment. Making Aliyah, there's no way you will know whether your Aliyah will be successful because there are stories in which you're not successful. You just have to go with your heart. So it was an act of faith and passion. And of course, theologically, all religion starts with an act of faith and passion. That's our star, and then we try to develop it rationally. So she got one crown. That courage of introducing Nasa before Nishma, why do they get two crowns? The base Olivia wants to know. So he says, there really are two magics here. There are two great feats. One is proactively committing before studying. But now the question is, if you already are committed to Hashem, why do you have to study at all? Once they said Nasa, why should they even say Nishma? Just say Nasa. The answer, he says, is they said, no, no, we still want to study your will. Not because we need to know how to behave. We've already committed. Just give us the marching orders we'll perform. We want to study your will because we just want to know who you are. Are any of you going to write tefillin in your lives? Probably not. But you're sitting there assiduously studying the laws of writing tefillin. Do you need to know them? You go out and purchase tefillin for a sofa. You can buy ready-made sitzes in the farm store. Your kashras can be farmed out to any one of a number of reputable kashras organizations. Today, living Judaism is easy. It can be just serviced out. Unfortunately, that's what makes it so um, lethargic and in some cases so dry because you just don't have to be involved in religion. Everything is provided. You come, the food is kosher, and everything is supervised, and the sitzes are made, and the are made, and it's convenient, and people don't have to commit to performing religion. But we don't just study Torah because we want to know 
practically how to perform. We study Torah because we want to understand the eternal word of Hashem, which surpasses time and place. That's why I seen I was given in a desert, beyond space, beyond time. We don't even know when the Torah was given. Look in the Torah. You think something that important should be tagged. Yitzhak Mitzrayim is tagged. We left on the 15th of Nisan. It's tagged. Entry into Eretz Yisrael is tagged when we enter the land. Harsina has one big ambiguity. When did it happen? Not only is it ambiguous, but Hashem tells Moshe, you can decide, and Moshe added an extra day according to one position in the Gemara. He said, let's wait another day. Why is it so ambiguous? Because it's beyond time. And it's beyond space. Because it's eternal. Think of the space that you occupy. This is a really, really big world. But at some point, as you zoom outward, at some point, you hit the boundaries. This universe isn't infinite. It's bounded, but by large, large space and large, large finitude. And at some point, you hit the end of the universe. You'll never do it, but at some point, you could theoretically. Beyond the universe is Hashem. Hashem is to the universe what the universe is to you. Just like you're spaced and placed in the universe, the universe, that huge expanse of space, is pitched within Hashem's presence. Within Hashem's collective. And that's where we are for Shivalos. Trying to get beyond space. Think of time. We have time, we have sequence, we have events. For Hashem, it's all just a second. That's what we want to get to on Shivalos. We can't tag it, it happened here at a certain place. It's not limited to a certain place in time. So there are two reasons there are no mitzvahs on Shavuos. One is because we don't want to create a feel of being mandated from Shemayim. This is our day. We choose it. We make it. We decide when it is, at least symbolically, through Sefiris Omer. We count down to it. We're determining when Shavuos occurs. And remember, Sefiris Omer begins when we want it to begin, based on Rosh Nisan. So effectively, we're creating the entire mousetrap. We decide when Rosh Nisan is, which in turn decides when turns when Pesach is, which in turn determines when Sphere begins, which in turn determines when Shavuos is. So essentially, we're setting in motion the wheels that are determining and designating Shavuos, and there are no misses today because this is a day for a human voice, not for Hashem's voice, number one. Number two, because we don't want to be time-bound to the world of mitzvahs. We want to be eternal in the world of Torah. That's why they know mitzvahs, not that we should eat all day. Okay? Think about the following. Very famous, famous medrash. Source number, where is it? On the back. Rashi notes the offset between Vayachanu, they all arrived, Vayavo, Vayachanu, and Vayichan. So what does the famous Rashi say? What does that mean? That means two things. Beyond just the obvious, toleration, tolerance, understanding that people are different, learning to live with other people, Abbas Yisrael. When a person comes into contact with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in a true sense, and you realize the enormity of Hashem, then you have to walk away with that sense of inability to fully understand Hashem, or else you're just humanizing Hashem into your perspective. The mountain caused this recognition. Seeing HaKadosh Baruch Hu at the Yamsaf, and then seeing Hashem at the mountain, even before Harsunah began, had them realize we can't get it all. There is no way for me to fully understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the only way for me to fully understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu is to imagine that someone else is seeing him in a way that I can't, because my mind is limited. 
and therefore I have to ratify someone else's view of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not just because I'm a morally kind person who allows dogs to bark and allows children to uh, dirty my house without getting angry. Take a field trip on Friday. Maybe you can, maybe you won't. Go to Mir. It'll look a little different. If you sit there for a few hours, I promise you it won't feel that different. You look past the coloration and the clothing, and it'll be the same thing. They're getting up and davening, 7 in the morning, having some breakfast, learning morning Seder, lunch, pretty much the same as you're doing here. But then go to Breslau or Bells. It's going to feel a lot more different than Mir. Walking into Bells, in some ways, is more important than walking into Mir. Because you remind yourself that there's a way to see Hashem that you just can't get. It's so far from your perspective because you're just getting a fractional particle of Hashem. That's all you can get. You can't get the whole system of Hashem. Hashem is beyond you. So Ve'ichan Shem Yisrael Neged Ahar is not just a moral precondition for them to receive Torah. They were getting along kindly with one another. They were compassionate. They were selfless. The community was... When they sense HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence, all of a sudden the pettiness, the judgmentalism, the particleism fell away. He said, I can't see the entirety of Hashem. This person next to me must be seeing Hashem in a way that I can't. And it's just as valid as mine. So part of Kabbalah Satara is being placed into that condition where you realize, I can't see all of Hashem. And then the next step is Abbas Yisrael, realizing, well, there are people that see HaKadosh Baruch in ways that I just can't and understand them in ways that I can't. That's also as long as it coheres within the circle of mitzvahs and Torah. But there are people who are putting on film that feel very different about life and about all the values that I hold. So I think that one of the differences that I've picked up, at least with American students, I don't know if it's true with others, is that there's a lot of patriotic jingoism almost about your derech. This is the derech and this is the way to serve Hashem in a very positive way. Because there's been an attempt over the last 15, 20 years to articulate what are the values we stand for because I think people lost that compass and weren't able to articulate them. But I think for a lot of boys it translates into and this is the derech and if people don't abide by my derech then they're just not serving Hashem and they're not going to get to Olam Haba and this is the only derech. Rather than say this is our derech. This is the way we serve our Kodesh Baruch This is our Masara. And being that you were raised more or less within this derech, this is a natural continuation of our derech. But if you decide you want to change your derech and find some other way to be an Ovid Hashem, as long as it coheres with the Torah and Mitzvahs and the values, that's just as legitimate. And Har Sinai is the moment to feel that. The next couple of days, it's not just that they had solidarity and fraternity because they were kinder and softer. Hashem's presence had an impact on them and the squabbling and pettiness. Every week in the base matters, the Kahnim would shift out and in on Shabbos. So the new Mishmar would come in on Shabbos, the old Mishmar would leave. There was a ceremony, there was a rite by which the departing Mishmar would bestow a bracha on the incoming Mishmar. It's quoted in the Gemara Brachos Yud Aleph. Basically, I don't have the Gemara in front of me, the bracha was that HaKadosh Baruch Hu who inheres his presence into this building, should bless you, they told the incoming Kohanim, and you should reach shalom, peace, harmony, achva. Well, these were people who were just well-wishing the newcomers to live peacefully. 
No, they were saying, we've lived a week with Hashem. We're less petty. We get it. We have seen and appreciated diversity and variety because we've lived in the base Hamikdash and we realize we can't get Hashem. It's simply beyond the human capacity. We hope that will happen to you. We hope you'll get the enormity and the sweet Rakhadosh Baruch So be careful when people in this world use the following word to you, or the words, this is the derech, this is the emes. At a certain point, it's almost a little avodazar. I wouldn't call it avodazar, chas v'shalom in the halachic sense. But avodazar is an attempt to humanize Hashem. Now there's gross, legal, halachically forbidden forms of avodazar, Molten images, gods of Mount Olympus, oceans, seas, planets, and you know, touch and feel and relate to, that's real avodazar. And then there's metaphoric avodazar, where you shrink Hashem into what your mind can grasp. And you can't imagine that Hashem has parts of him and part of his essence, just can't get. That's why seeing Gedolim are so important, because you, you understand that something can be so enormous that no one person can cop it. So, for example, the Rav. We have Taminim of the Rav who will swear, Rosalavechik, that he learned Gemara, that's what he really cared about and studied. And the philosophy, he just, his spare time in the bathroom, he did it to a piece, just so we should have a doctorate, just so we should have some title. But he really didn't care that much about it. And there's some people who will say, the philosophy is really what interested him, and the learning was just as a front, they should be a Rosh Hashiva. And other debates about who he was. And the answer is, it was all of them. But the students had limited capacity, so they were just able to appreciate and identify with the parts of their Rebbe that reflected who they were. And if someone just isn't philosophical by nature, then the Rebbe would seem to just be dabbling in philosophy, uh, you know, unconsciously without any interest. Or someone who wasn't interested in learning Gemara wasn't able to register the resonance of how important Gemara was to the Rebbe. So sometimes you have experiences or people entities that are just so large and such so many lights across the spectrum that not every person can pick up each and every ray of light. Well, imagine that about Kodesh Baruch What made our Sinai so powerful is that people were hearing different things. So the Marshal writes, I want to share this with you because a little bit of Kabbalah is also good for, for uh, Shavuos. The Marshal was Rav Shlomo Luria. And Rav Shlomo Luria lived in Lublin in the 16th century when Rabbi Yosef Cairo was writing the Beis Yosef and the Shulchan Arach in Tzvan, 1550s. And Rabbi Yosef Cairo wanted to try to systematize and institutionalize halacha, that every sugya could be mathematically reduced to its conclusion, and there's a formulaic way to decide halacha based on what the Rambam said, what the Rush said, what the Rif said. And Rishlam Aluria said, no, Torah is too broad. Torah is too wild. Torah is too chaotic. Torah is too infinite. You can't shrink it and organize it, and institutionalize it, and halacha by number, and halacha by, and psak by color. Ultimately, the Shulchan Arach was right, because we were 1,500 years into Galas, or 1,400 years into Galas, and the ideal, authentic way of Torah couldn't be sustained anymore. There are too many pressures living scattered across the globe. Jews were migrating after the Spanish Inquisition, so it's hard to maintain that. But in a perfect world, the Amshel Shlomo was right, the Marshal was right. You can't shrink Torah down to one approach that everyone has to follow. There could be different approaches, different way to say Kiddush, and different way to say Havdalah, and different way to meet Matzah, and different way to take Ulub, and different ways to Davin. 
So the Yamshel Shlomo, the Marshal, called the Sefer the Yamshel Shlomo. It's a sea. It's not a table that's neatly organized like the Shulchan Aruch. It's a sea. So in his introduction to Baba Kami, he describes what happened in Harsinai. Take a look at source number six. How can there be machloksin? How can there be multiple truths? How can something be Tamei or Tara? How can something be Chayi or Pater? Which is right? Which is wrong? Lola Tamoi says, I'm machloksin, berichok adeos. Don't be surprised or shocked when there's disputes. Zemetame, zemetayar, zeoser, zematir, zeposel, zemachshir. Kulam, line number four. Devar Elohim Chaim. Ki'ilu kibel kol chad mipiagavur mipimosheh. HaMekubalim, this is how Mekubalim described what happened in Harsinai. Kol HaNeshamos HaYub HaRasinai, we were all there. Kiblu derech memtes sinaros, there were 49 conduits coming from Shemayim, 49 different approaches, 49 different ways, each conduit was different. V'heim sheva pa m'sheva, seven times seven. V'heim ha'kolos asher shamu v'lorau, you heard different voices, but you couldn't understand all of them, you heard other people hearing things that you couldn't understand. But you were aware that what you were receiving was the Listen to this line. Every person saw and understood and comprehended the Torah based on his conduit and his channel, based on his capacity. How saintly and how pious your soul was. Next page. Your, your comprehension levels. And not just your comprehension levels, but the angles and perspectives at which you understood this were distant. One person heard Tar. Another person heard Tameh. One person heard something in the middle. So don't think that our Sinai was a uniform experience. And so it was. So it continues. And just because someone has a different shita from yours doesn't mean that it isn't Emes. That's not the Derech. I've said this a lot to the Americans, but I'll say it again because it's Erev Shavuos and because some of the boys here didn't hear it yet. These are the conditions to be legitimate, to be part of Harzina. Divinity of Torah. You have to subscribe to the notion that every single letter was written by Hashem. Number two, the authority of Chazal. Chazal knew Torah very deeply. They didn't have Ruach HaKodesh in the sense of Nevoah, but they were divinely inspired as well as masterfully controlling the types of knowledge that we just scramble to piece together. And we don't mock their authority. We don't repeal their statements simply because they become a little bit outworn historically. Some things are outworn, let's face it. And we'll change them when Mashiach comes and there's a base in, but we can't. Kidney should be changed. We can't. Yet the Shani should be changed. We can't. We don't have... So often people don't realize that Judaism is playing shorthanded. We're trying to judge Judaism in a, in, in a failed or limited frame. We don't have a base team. We don't have a melech. We don't have a nevim. It's like trying to look at a team that's playing two players shorthanded and gauging how they're playing. It's a joke. They're not playing at full force. You know, they're full repertoire of, of their full arsenal. We don't have a base team. We don't have Yushalayim. We don't have the base on Mikdash. You don't have to fill it all day. You know what I mean? We're a pale shadow of what Yiddishkeit's meant to be. But we're born into this world. We just assume that this is the ideal. Because that's how people process the reality. They don't realize there should be another ideal, but this is the ideal that we have to make the most of, that we have to succeed best at. Yud Gimli Kar, you have to believe in basically Mashiach and basically Tresa Mason, Hashem isn't physical. Moshe had divorced the 13 Animamins of the Rambam, more or less. And Mrs. You have to perform Mrs. As long as you're Derek to serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu, 
coherence within those four parameters, mitzvahs, divinity of Torah, authority of Chazal, and you'd give them that's part of our secret. So find your derech, not the derech, and every year on Shavuos, remember that Harsinai happened in stereo. It wasn't a monolithic, monotonic event where everyone heard the same thing. And Machloksin in a Gemara are not based on the deterioration of the Masar. It's based on the fact that there were multiple truths given in Harsinai. And at a certain point, Yosef Kara said, we have to uniform Halacha. Everyone has to follow Halacha the same way, whether you live in Spain or Italy or, or France or... And then Ramos said, well, maybe let's keep a little bit of autonomy for those Jews who live in Ashkenazi lands. But the post-Shulchan Aruch world has convinced you that there's one way to do things, and we're just trying to find it, both in Ashkafa and in Halacha. And there isn't. And our scene reminded us, and that's why they were unified, not because they were the same, because they were different, but they realized that only in their differences could they encompass the totality of a Baruch So people mistake this Rashi. They were all unified. They were all the same. They weren't the same. But because they saw HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they were able to contextualize that their truth wasn't the only truth. I want to wish everyone here a Chag Shavuos Sameach.